Jane Friedman is an educator who teaches writers how to hone their craft. And with 25 years of experience in the industry, she's damn good at it. Most of her books are pretty niche though. Manuals about writing for writers. And because Jan doesn't write mass appeal dime novels on the side, she relies on her reputation to get other writers to buy her books. Which is why when a fraud started publishing books under her name on Amazon and Goodreads, it was an existential threat. To make matters worse, the fraudulent books making money under her name were written by artificial intelligence. Badly written by artificial intelligence. Generic writing advice, processed through a blender of ones and zeros, spat on the page, and stamped with Jane's name on the cover. Jane's blog post about this was even titled, quote, I would rather see my books get pirated than this, or why Goodreads and Amazon are becoming dumpster fires. She's not wrong either. At present, Amazon has hundreds of book titles on their online shop with ChatGPT listed as the author. But those are just the honest publishers who are willing to admit having used AI to write their books. What about the newspapers? who don't have to admit AI is writing their articles? What about fiction novels, websites, national magazines? Who else is getting caught using AI to prop up their brand? Who else has embraced the dumpster fire publishing model just to chase short money? You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment, all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Laments, the extrovert. And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of no-duh on the internet. Artificial intelligence has threatened a lot of jobs. Doctors, lawyers, copywriters, middle managers. They're all on the chopping block, according to AI experts. But so far, not many American workers have outright lost their lunch to AI, except perhaps creatives. We're talking writers, artists, journalists, and voice actors. People are already struggling in an internet age where everyone expects what they read to be free. Now, even moderately successful writers are being put out of business by AI. AI, which, by most measures, can only write at a college freshman level at best. But that's not stopping fraudulent publishers from packaging low-quality AI trimmings into fake newspaper articles, fake comics and novels, and fake how-to manuals, and selling them on Amazon. So, where is this all going? And who's been caught with their hand in the AI cookie jar so far? Myth one. So a few writers and artists lose their jobs. So what? If our entertainment is being published by AI, what's the worst thing that can happen? If AI can do their jobs better, why not put ChatGPT in charge? Myth two. Why are writers, artists, and voice actors so vulnerable? Myth three. Without question, AI eventually will be capable of providing top-notch quality entertainment. But at this moment, it's getting a lot of people in trouble. 
Which publishers have been lured in by the siren song of free writing and art so far? This episode was one of those late night text sessions where I was writing totally something unrelated in left field. And Todd started talking about AI, which I thought was my uh, interest. Like that was my thing that uh, I'm supposed to be the tech savvy one between us where I talk about, you know, the existential threats of robots. Um, and I like to say that I, Joe is my actual AI. I've had AI for years. I just call him with an idea. <laughs> Next thing you know, I have a, a, a paragraph written or I have a resume written. <laughs> right. So I am the original chat GPT. I don't know if anybody knows that. Um, but I also want to give a shout out, um, not just to Todd for finding really like the, the cornerstone article, which we will get to in this episode about a really, really, really big publisher and magazine totally getting caught uh, with their hand red handed in the AI cookie jar. Um, but I also want to thank um, Adam and Kathleen. Um, they're research friends of the show. They've they've written episode premises before. And Adam is basically my AI guru. He keeps me updated on all the ways AI is making publishing a nightmare um, and hopefully a utopia in the future. And we'll get to that part in the episode, too. We'll talk about how amazing AI could be in publishing if we let it get that part. Yeah, thank you, Adam. Thank you for your research and scaring the bejesus out of Joe so he loses sleep at night. <laughs> I It's me and every other writer and and honestly, a lot other creatives, too. It, it started with writers scared of uh, AI being able to do better than them. But now it's almost literally every type of creative job there is. Um, and we'll get into why that is. Well, um, was, my, my ears perked up a little bit on the, the voiceover actors. I'm, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> oh, thought, uh -oh. In my future, because <laughs> I've done some commercials and I've done the show and a few things. And I think, oh, well, uh, maybe I don't want to spend too much time focused on that if, if, if the computer is going to do it better and faster and cheaper than I can. If you are a graphic artist or if you are a voice actor specifically, you should really be thinking about like ways to either like copyright your voice or your, your art or ways to, you know, like lock it behind a glass you know wall, like until the, the artificial intelligence wars are over and we all go back to painting by hand again. Um, we'll get into why that's all um, really on the chopping block um, quicker than than database uh, jobs are. Um, but first, uh, I want to address something that has come up several times. Whenever we make the argument about artificial intelligence, whether it's for or against, it's either a lot of, I mean, so many alarmist um, articles and videos come out on, on YouTube saying this is the end, that AI is, you know, taking all of our jobs. It's going to kill us all. It's it's got biases um, where we're reaching the singularity. The 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 more rational, slow approach um, is that this is more like uh, when switchboard operators in the early 1900s were replaced. Um, when there were, you, you know, those like like videos or pictures of the the women who were like in very like prim dresses sitting at switchboards. Yeah, somebody would please it, hold. Know, somebody, we'll connect you. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm actually old enough that I have made one of those calls because I was in a rural part of Maine. <laughs> <laughs> so not to date myself into World War II, I'm not that old, but <laughs> I do understand. That's where they yeah. that's where they hung on the longest. The switchboard operators they they were in rural areas last, and and they even eventually lost their jobs. And the reason why is because they came out with a automated switchboard system. It's, it's basically what we use today. We, we fine-tuned it over and over, obviously. 
um, in the modern age, you know, everything's handled by computers, but uh, at some point, you know, a, a automated switchboard would connect you to the number you had dialed instead of asking a, a very kind lady who is you know, behind the switchboard to connect you to a person. Um, and when those people lost jobs, Freakonomics did a really cool episode about this. They, they found that like a lot of them were able to um, reskill and go into different jobs. But uh, the, the argument people make is if you lose your job to a new technology, uh, be flexible. There's, there's uh, um, so many self-help books by CEOs about flexibility being the key. And if you're not, you know, fast and flexible, you die. And, you know, you have to adapt. You have to evolve. Well, that's not really the case with a large labor force. <laughs> Oftentimes, like the switchboard operators, they go work worse jobs. Like, like the answer is they aren't really able to reskill into something that, like, you can't take somebody who is operating a technology for their job take that technology away from them and say, you know, okay, you're, you, you don't have anything at your fingertips. You you're in an empty field. Now reskill yourself, like, like learn yeah. something valuable to society. Well, the we thing they had learned was to use the technology. <laughs> well, we talked about that, why the boomers are having a hard time. Not everyone's capable of just doing something different when they've been doing it for so long, you know? Right. The, the, now it is a joke. It's learn to code. Well, that's not available either because AI is actually able to code. You can type in what you want into ChatGPT. Like you can go to ChatGPT and type in, I want a um, uh, a website with a working menu for my pizza shop. And it will literally spit out the HTML code for you to copy and paste into a window. So like there there almost aren't any uh, go reskill yourself, quote unquote, type jobs anymore. Like almost all of them are facing AI unless you are doing something physical. So I guess everybody uh, can go learn to be a handyman like South Park made jokes about. Um, so so the, I guess our first point is um, this isn't something you can really just shrug off and say, you know, everybody being replaced by AI should go reskill themselves. It's more of AI is slowly creeping into crevices across the um, job market and it's taking away some jobs, it's diluting some jobs, it's it's removing parts of some jobs, and it's going to get bigger and keep moving like that um, until almost literally every job is touched by it. And so far, the three big ones we're talking about today are all in publishing. <laughs> and it's... Well, and the reason and, we are is because Joe is a professional writer, and this affects him directly. You know, so that's why it's kind of a sensitive subject, right? Or it's an exciting subject, the way you look at it. Exciting. And it's advancing. It, it, it's already advancing. It's, that's the scary part, is it's getting better faster than than a human can learn, right? Not even close. Right. I would say to to be very succinct about it, um, the, the business side of it is going to be a nightmare and continues to be. The creative side of it is going to have a very exciting future. Um, the business side of it is um, publishers who are already not paying uh, their creative team enough are now just skipping out on paying them entirely and trying to get it by with using artificial intelligence to do their work, their, their publishing. So what you have is you used to have a, a, a board of directors or a board, uh, who are, you know, like in charge of publishing at a company sitting on top of a pyramid of writers and artists to make their content. Now they're starting to try to like take away the human bricks of that content uh, from people who are already 
honestly probably not paid well enough. Um, and we'll get into the pay scale too. Like if you if you think I'm whining about starving artists, it is. Uh, we'll we'll talk about the the pay scale of creative work as a trend. Um, but they're starting to publishing companies are starting to try to fully replace people. Uh, well, and they're the getting caught of, doing it. The strength of this country and its creativeness too. Hopefully, we address because that's one of the strengths we have as a world power in this country. A lot of conventions and a lot of improvements come out of people's creativeness. Right. The, the innovative, uh, um, the, the innovative drive of America, the thing that's made America so successful is that we have inventors and we have creatives and we have people who think outside the box and patent things. And, uh, the reason why, um, so many other countries haven't leapt ahead in innovation specifically like tech innovation is um they don't incentivize their creative people to patent things they don't have as um generous patent laws as we do or copyright laws they, they don't have as generous laws of protection towards somebody's work and we're starting to lose that and we're also starting to lose honestly even just a person willing to pay somebody for creating inventing voicing whatever um and this does extend into um physical invention too because ai can uh, physically uh, it, uh, iterate um, objects until it has the best radio antenna possible, which that's crazy. And you can look it up. Um, <laughs> I've, I've seen AI articles of AI inventing more efficient antennas and they make basically an insane looking loop to loop copper wire. You plug it into a phone and your phone gets like a million miles of range or something crazy. Well, it's funny. I was reading your, your Jane Friedman story about the, you know, the kind of book she writes manuals for writers and I was reminded, my friend Stephanie is a huge Harry Potter fan. I mean, she knows all the characters. She's read, she could recite the books, books verbatim. She visited China and she went to like the black market, uh, flea market kind of thing that they have. Oh, right. And she said there was hundreds of Harry Potter books that she had never heard of that the Chinese underground had written. <laughs> and she said they were okay. They weren't terrible. <laughs> <laughs> right. And of course, she bought them all because she just couldn't help herself. But when you were saying that, that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> it's, it, I, I like it if it mixes just all kinds of other fiction, like Harry Potter and the Runestone of Star Trek's Picard thing. Like it, it's a <laughs> <laughs> space adventure. Uh, it's just, just nonsense. Well, speaking of AI generating nonsense, um, let's talk about our, our, our first uh, hand in the cookie jar moment, our first big catch. Um, we, we had a, the first one that I came across was art generated art. So do we want to start with that? We do. And this is one that's that's dear to Joe's heart. It's the Dungeons and Dragons, their source book for Dungeons and Dragons. Um, now I think of Dungeons and Dragons as almost like a religion. I see it as a cult, as a lifestyle. And I think in that circle, um, imagination is important. Is that not true, Joe? I'd, I'd say that's ex- nail on the head. It's the, the, the genre and the game itself um, encourages people to be imaginative and to draw their characters on the back of their character sheets mm-hmm. and to, to come up with new scenarios and, and literally involve magic. Uh, yeah, it's entirely a creative, uh, um, uh, a creative cult. It's a creative uh, uh, game for sure. Well, people play it competitively. And I, Joe, I know him and his buddies stay up to four o'clock in the morning playing this. So I'm going to, I'm going to mention that, but <laughs> they study these characters and they, and they know them like the back of their hands, just like you said. Um, and so these source books, they'll, they'll study so they can play better is what I understood. Right. 
Absolutely. So, so in the source books, it spit out some AI and the fans just lost their shit. They noticed right away that the hands were out of poor proportion, the horns weren't right. Now, of course, these are fictitious characters, but they know how long the horns are being, how long the fingernails should be, what the crown should They know this stuff. So they were just outraged that they're <laughs> trying to push this off and sell this to us, you know, and, and they're sensitive to the way they look because this is how they feel. This is part of their, you know, like, I know I'm, I'm, it sounds like I'm exaggerating religion, but I don't think it is. I mean, these are you go to you go to festivals and dress up like these people. It matters, <laughs> right? And and to to give context, I will I will deep nerd myself uh, and and out myself. Um, it was specifically an expansion on giants, like like they had a book about storm giants. Uh, one of their modules come out years ago, super super uh, successful, very popular, and they put out more giant material and the art. The <laughs> and I honestly didn't notice at first. Like I looked at the art and I'm like, oh, cool, more uh, frost giants and more you know types of giants. And then and then I started noticing the little flaws and the little the the, the little parts that were off started kind of making my head hurt. Like the more you stare say, at it, the worse things get. <laughs> I can see your head kind of tilted. You go, they did what? Well, right? the fans <laughs> the fans were actually just morally out. So so it's too. These people are fans of the of the artists too, and grateful for the arts because it's part of their imagination, it's part of their dream world, it's part of their fantasy world that gets them away from regular life. So, so it is powerful. And I read through hundreds of these comments, and I'll share a couple of them. Um, here's one: AI was used to polish. Fine de details are literally AI at its worst. So this is a bold face line. <laughs> and then this next one. Hold on, if you've seen the picture, uh, like I love that comment. Fine detail, AI is used to polish. Fine details are literally the worst AI is at. It's the wolf in the picture has human hands instead of paws, and like there's horns floating in front of giant heads. It's crazy. <laughs> Again, you have to Sorry. be a dungeon. You have to be a dungeon and dragon weirdo to appreciate this. Okay, I'm just gonna. <laughs> I didn't know the difference, <laughs> and I looked at them pretty hard too. But as a fan, okay, here's another one. At this rate, what? Uh, what the source book hasn't done to make everyone angry at them. Since this whole attempt to change the rules and screw the creators as such, they're basically destroying their trust in their own fans. And that's what it's about. It's about losing trust. It's about saying something that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. So they're saying it's not about enhancing or lighting like they said, because then, of course, they try to kind of softball and polish it off and sand it off. And say, oh, we're just enhancing lighting. What the fans are saying in, in big numbers is they're just trying to save money and be cheapskates. But they didn't lower the cost of the source books. <laughs> they still cost the same. And if you're arguing for um, cost efficiency for companies, I do believe in that. I, I, I do believe in... Um, being lean and efficient as a as a corporation but uh wizard of the coast watsi has um it's worth like 800 million dollars um they can spare enough to to pay somebody a couple hundred for the main cover of their art book um this is i mean literally it's just blatant replacement um and it didn't work if if it did work if if um these if a, if a publishing company was being paid to put out the best AI content possible 
and everybody loved their AI content and it was upfront and it, it did work and it looked great and you couldn't tell the difference between that and a human. That's one thing that that's publishing an AI's work and getting paid for it, which honestly, that probably should happen at some point. This is trying to fool fans into thinking that you're carrying on business as usual. And it's it's a betrayal because it didn't work and it was bad. Like it was lesser content. The the soup can was smaller. The skimpflation is happening. The the package doesn't have as much meat in it. There's a finger on the scale. Like it it's it's exactly as shady feeling as it seems with this outrage. I apologize to take over your your story with my nerd nonsense, but no, no, this, it's, this, it's a, it fits this. It's appropriate. I'll say it was a it was a critical hit in my heart. Is I'll, I'll use nerd terminology. Um, so th- I I want to ask your opinion on this first before I kind of like get into uh, the twail- the Taylor Swift effect or what used to be called the Drake effect. Um, why it, do you have an opinion on on whether or not artists should be like replaced? Like like what? What do you think would be fair to pay artists for doing art on like major books or or musicians or or things like that? Is there, should we be paying lesser artists for their things or should we only be paying like people who are very, very good? Um, I think, well, it's set up with musicians is, you know, if you get a record deal and Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift pays for out of her pay. She doesn't get 100% of what she sells. She pays for all those artists that don't make it. But I think there should be a, a bottom line. I think there should be a minimum that you can make. And I think it should be reasonable. Because I don't think it's fair. You see a lot of these artists, like their first few, you know, publishing contracts or records that they put out, they, they didn't make any money. And they sold yeah. so many, you know. And I just don't think that's fair. And they have to switch to somebody else and sue their manager, who's usually their parents. And it's like... It just doesn't seem fair. It's kind of like college sports now getting paid. The world did not end. It's just a sense of fairness, you know, because before the money was all going to the top to the CEO. So I think it needs to to trickle down, you know, even if you aren't a one-hit wonder, the fact that you got a record deal, you got in the big leagues, should take care of you, you know. You're one, you're one, you're, you're one of the 1% of 1%. What right. do you think? I, I Your analogy with you know, not paying college players or, or I, I, I think another good example, if we're going to use sports is um, during the Rangers games, I found out that um, th- there was a, a person who was during the, the Texas Rangers, the baseball team on their run to the, the championship. Uh, I found out that one of their pitchers who hadn't played a single game this season was making millions and somebody on the field, like one of their new uh, rookies, was making about $70,000. So there was somebody who was literally a millionaire on the team every year annually, even though he wasn't playing, next to somebody who's making the same wage as an electrician. And I was like, <laughs> well, that's let, a hierarchy. Like, <laughs> Well, let me even one you up on that. There's a lot of baseball yeah. players who haven't played for, they've been retired for 10 years and are still getting millions of dollars for those teams. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is like a head scratcher, you know. Well, we're we're going to talk about um, the creative pay scale. Uh, this is something that a lot of creative workers know. It's um, if you only the the absolute most highest percent in the industry is getting paid. Like um, the the tiers to step down in pay is drastic and will break your ankles. 
Um, and this was originally when I read the article about it, um, I think it was Wired. It was called the Drake Effect. And it was because um, Drake got like it was like it was an absurd amount of money for being on Spotify and Spotify would funnel listeners to Drake, even if they had never heard his albums because everybody else liked him. So so Spotify's algorithm would be like, hey, you seem to like music for humans. Let's uh, try this. This is Drake. Uh, he's very popular. Everyone loves so, him. So, so even if you're an 80 year old retired librarian from Nebraska, you, you're you going to listen Drake. to Drake. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't and that then, how the radio stations have been doing it for so long? We don't know what music we like. We just know what we've heard continuously over and over. Well, right. And if, if you're Drake and you have a great Spotify deal, you're making millions. If you are one of the hundred people below Drake who are directly below him, are very, very, very talented, are kicking ass, are actually making better sales than Drake, uh, if not for uh, being, uh, people being automatically siphoned to him, um, you get, it was a crazy number. It was like 20% of what he was getting or something, or 10%. The, the step down was insane. And then everybody below that step was making basically not enough to live on. And that's publishing across the board. Like... The yeah. only writers who are making crazy Stephen money. King. Stephen King, right? And then Stephen King, other, J.K. Rowling, all the, all the Fifty Shades of Grey, E.L. James. Yeah. yeah. Um, everybody, when, when you tell somebody, I want to be a professional writer, they think of those lottery winner writers. Uh, they're not thinking of the um, insane pyramid below them, uh, the, the massive amount of people who are making basically just barely enough to live on. Uh, to and give you a... Yeah. And this is not a competency thing either. Um, to give you an example, Joe and I did the math once. You know, a, a writer who's who's been educated, who is has, has been published, their first publishing book deal, if you really did the math, they're making about three bucks an hour. And this is someone who's a polished professional, one of the one percent of the one percent in the world. Right. Um to I, I have personally met people who have won writing contests who, who have who have proven to have an insane mastery over the field and have published books that do mediocre, but it's not because the book is bad. They're, they're one of the best people in the field. They're probably better than the, than the people making mega publishing money. Um, but the reason why they don't rise to the top is, is not because of merit or, or bad writing. It's because um, publishing houses and you know promoters don't look at their stuff uh, and they, they will eventually be heard. It's kind of like, the, as their book slowly rises to the top and people realize how brilliant they are, um, in the meantime, you know, the, the, the promotion machine like, like Spotify channels everyone to George R. R. Martin or J.K. Rowling. Um, so by the time they die in 70 years, people will realize how great their books are. Um, <laughs> that's, and that's old. That, that's not a new system. Uh, Dune, we, we, we had an episode about how Dune was published by an auto mechanic uh, book publisher, Chilton because nobody would touch it. Um, so that's it. And, and this is getting um, more. Yeah, it's steep. not like we're trying to be socialist here, but it just has, doesn't no. seem fair at all. It doesn't seem fair that you could write a book that's actually better and it just will never, ever get the light ever. Have you, um, uh, have you seen the show, the bear? No. Um, Hold on, let me let me look up how many awards it's gotten. So, um, the bear is a drama about like a, a professional chef who like is a Michelin star, and he he he's incredible and amazing, and like 
he he moves back to like Chicago or Jersey or something, and he like he takes over his brother's failing sandwich shop, and he he tries to be a Michelin star chef in the shop full of curmudgeon assholes who are who are you know oh. not having it, and they fight him tooth and nail every step of the way. Amazing show, so great, oh, and yeah. it's my, my wife likes that. It's funny. It's very funny, right? Yeah. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna just start reading some of these off here. Screen Actors Guild Award, Writers Guild Award, Critics Choice Award, Danny Thomas Award. I don't know what that is. TCA, AFI, Golden Globe, <laughs> Independent Spirit, Independent Spirit, TCA, uh, Eddie Award for Single Camera. It's it's That's it impressive. Is scooping awards off the floor, left and right. It's a great show. I've seen it. You know, I've I've seen the first season a couple times now. Um, the writer for that was on food stamps during the SAG-AFTRA strike. Like he, <laughs> the guy that wrote it, because he is new and unknown, and it's the Drake effect. He's still at the bottom of that pyramid, even though he wrote something that is that incredible. Um, and that's that's the pay scale. So so when we talk about why are voice actors and artists, visual artists, and and why are um, writers vulnerable uh, to AI? It's because they are already on a pay scale that um, does not reward you. On, in the way that like any other job does until you are the best of the best of the best and the most well-known. Well, no, se- sensitive to me is this whole thing with the, I've known some people who are involved in the, the actors and the writer's strike in LA. And, um, you know, the, the Jimmy Kimmel, who's making trillions of dollars, he, he wouldn't go on the air because he didn't have anyone to write jokes. I'm thinking you can't even write a few monologues yourself. Right. To me, that was shocking. That that's how valuable these people are. That without them, without these minimum wage food stamp people, these millionaires, billionaires, are just going to stay home. I mean, right. <laughs> they can't they can't string a couple of jokes together. I I just it's it, it's a head scratcher to me. Have you have you heard Ellen try to be funny on her Twitter uh, after like during COVID when there was nobody writing jokes for her? No, you think these co- like literal comedians like you'd think they'd yeah. have funny jokes, but. No, they 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 hire writers and they have them for so long that like it, it's it's the They're stuff like they say is bland cats. after that. They're like domesticated house cats, right? right? They just can't do anything. Oh my goodness. So this is this is both the question of um why are creatives vulnerable and also how bad could it get? The how bad could it get? You just said it. It's you get dumb flat boring jokes, you get dumb flat boring shows. AI is not good at making you impressed. AI is not good in writing, uh, in, in written format. AI is bad at surprising you. It's bad at making you feel something, uh, um, uh, making you feel vulnerable, making you feel you know in love for a character. Um, I know I'm, I'm, I'm sounding romanticizing uh, what a writer does. I'm really not. There's a scene in the show Barry where uh, there's a, a character who has just made a successful show and she's, you know, Barry's girlfriend and, and she, you know, is, is sitting in a boardroom talking to basically like a fake Netflix. And she's like, you know, we just we just got critically acclaimed. You know, we got a standing ovation at an opening. You know, we have a 99 percent Rotten Tomatoes. And then like they're, they're the boardroom is talking to her and they're being like, uh-huh. Yeah, you're doing great. Your show is awesome. We're going to carry it for seasons. It's going to be amazing. And then they like check their phone and they're like, and we're going to have to cancel you. The algorithm shows that you're not feasible long-term on our platform and you <laughs> nailed our demographic. What? <laughs> you just said I was the most wonderful thing. Right. Uh. And it's like, no, the algorithm says otherwise. Um, if everyone thinks Marvel shows have gotten boring, like Marvel movies, superhero movies, um, if anyone thinks that formula is is bad in TV, 
and you know all, all the Netflix shows that are coming out that are basically just very very flat boring mashups of different formulas they thought would work for their their target audience wait until you see what ai tv scripts look like you can go online and read them they're amazingly boring like <laughs> well yeah and, and i've had that experience because i've used ai to help do some speech writing what it does do is it helps you get an idea and then it does a lot of research but there is no emotional buttons there is no hooks it does not hold your attention it's a research paper yeah it's uh, uh, pretty much all AI scripts and stories that I've read so far. Um, they look and feel like kind of like Hallmark movies that they are just um, cookie cutter produced and they they don't have any real um, like I said, you, you'll never watch one and think to yourself, why didn't anyone think of this? You will you will read a script or, or watch something AI is made and think, oh, yeah, no, I know where that comes from. And that's it. That's the only feeling you'll have about it. Um, the same thing goes for like ad copy. And, um, by the way, if you want to know where AI is really, really taking off, it's in, um, blogs and ad copy. Uh, if you go to Amazon or Temu and you find a terribly written product, uh, review or, or product info from the actual producers themselves, and it leaves out the dimensions of the product, or it, it tells you to do things with it that are not humanly possible. Like, you know, this is a, a truck cup holder and it's like, oh, it, it's great for, uh, storing, you know, animal treats. And it's like, it's you scratch your head and you think what human would ever do that well that's because an ai wrote that ad copy they they wrote the product information well on that point do, how, how you, you talked about a friend with your friends adam who does who does yeah. ai um he might be better at this than you but do you read something do you have a meter for this do you say okay this is ai right away oh I, I mean, absolutely um it's uh the, one of the contests that i and how do to, how do how do i do that how do i know <laughs> well, uh, there's a, there's a couple ways. Um, while you are reading, if if it has terrible segues, that is a big one. Is if you are reading a story and it doesn't know how to go from like they're kissing in the sunset to now they're driving on the highway and they're being chased by the police. If it if it says yada yada or, or, or it says you know um, and they you know they they had a wonderful night together and then they got in the car the next morning if it says something as clunky as that i mean literally yeah. it will say a sentence just a that stumble. is that dumb and flat yeah There's no transition it, at all is this yeah it's 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 the ai saying timber as the the plot comes crashing down and then it will pick it up and start going again um it's because usually what what you have in those moments in in writing and production and anything you should have human moments. The, the way to bridge those gaps between scenes is to have, you know, a, a, a profound piece of dialogue mm -hmm. or, or a, a, the cough, a the cigarette in the bed kind of thing. Yeah, right. They say something that um, reveals about them as a character and you have a long lingering look and then, the you know, a, a fade to black and then you're in the next scene. They, AI doesn't know how to do that. Like they don't know how to be profound. They know how to mimic scenes and, and sound profound. That will change. I know I'm sounding very negative right now. Uh, eventually, you know, in years coming, uh, AI will be as good at predicting, you know, human emotion uh, as to fix that. Um, but right now, what AI looks like is instructions that don't make sense, legal help that goes nowhere, um, you know, like calling a help service, getting an AI voice on the other line, and they just slowly, like, you, they use a, a, an algorithm dialogue tree to work you through the lines until you finally get a human on. Amazon's helpline. Um, and all these nightmare scenarios can work 
Except real jobs aren't being replaced wisely or with good planning right now. They're being replaced quickly and dumbly and like businesses are cutting corners because that's pretty much exactly what they are doing. Um, and we're going to get into uh, major publishers who are trying to protect consumers or, or maybe they're not. Maybe they're just claiming they'll protect consumers. Um, but we're, we'll talk about that after another of our examples of who's gotten caught using AI to, to do their work. <laughs> I have a good one. and Well, it's not a good one. It's a terrible one. We think of journalists as what? Telling us of current events, um, telling us of dangers, telling us of earthquakes, car accidents, right? Truth writers, yeah. Truth writers. Well, this Chinese journalist, and it's important that you know that he's a journalist, um, he got caught using AI and made up a, a fake train crash that it said it said falsely, that nine people died. Well, this is serious because it, it causes fear. It causes chaos. It covers people being um, stressed. And so when you start using AI to pick fights and to start trouble and confuse the general, uh, the sheep that we are, the masses, this man got in big trouble. He got arrested this is a journalist, and he's facing five to ten years for that's a pretty serious uh, AI crime. But I can see <laughs> how the dangers could be, and and you know, with bullying um, and just with fear, people get afraid. They do what? Do they make bad decisions? They do stupid things, and they put other people' in lives in jeopardy, and their own lives in jeopardy. So you can see someone using this to bully someone to suicide or for whatever reason, thinking that. It was the end of the world. If someone in some kind of who has a platform, who's trusted, I mean, because if you read an article, you and I are a little skeptical of the news more than most, but the masses kind of believe it. <laughs> they right. see things on the news and they take it as bond. They take it as God. I wonder if there hadn't been any quote unquote deaths in his fake story. Like he claimed nine people died. If there hadn't been any like crash or deaths, if he just reported on like uh, um, a Waffle House that had like, you know, um, proclaimed a, a dog to be mayor of Waffle House forever, if it had been nonsense and didn't affect the real world, I wonder if anyone would have cared. Like even even though it's the Chinese government, I wonder if they would have hammered him for just lying to people. No, I think that makes it more serious. But we know why he did it, because more people read articles when people die. Oh, so yeah. Or, it was it was driven by money. So you think, well, what's the harm in that? He's just, you know, no, it's 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 trying to. And we see that in the news here, Fox and CNN do it all the time. Right. They love a plane crash. I mean, they love it. Right. Yeah. They love when people come into the thing. Anytime people die, it means we're going to make more money. I, I think that um, of the types of writing that get replaced by AI, this one is probably the more dangerous one um, because fiction stories, art, all the other stuff we're talking about, it's entertainment. It will make our lives far more boring to not have those people doing it, to have AI doing it, but it doesn't hurt anyone. This is serious. Like, like say, uh, let's, let's transport chat GTP back to the Nixon era. If chat GPT was asked, you know, oh, here's all the newspapers that have come out in the last 10 years. Is Nixon honest? Like is Nixon, you know, an honest president and chat GTP only knows how to take what everyone has said 
and right. repeat the most frequently said things like it almost literally like how propaganda works. It's, uh, you know, uh, nine out of 10 newspapers say that Nixon is fine. Yeah, it's one sixty forty. It's like a coin yeah. flip, right? If it's if it's a one too many, then they're going to say this, right? They're going to run that direction. Right. Replace Woodward and Bernstein being the lone voice in journalism that says Nixon's dirty. Replace that with ChatGTP, just repeating what other newspapers are saying, and then replace those journalists and the other newspapers with more ChatGPT, and what you get is just a circle of very generic reporting that repeats itself. You don't get. You know the lone voice who actually knows the truth who did the digging you you just get a circle of echoing robots and and nobody is inputting the actual like journalistic information nobody's there to like type into the machine nixon's dirty or, or you know nixon did watergate well <clears throat> i need to ask you this um you have been a lifelong writer you write three thousand words a year and you've done that for over 15 years now you're a very accomplished writer how, what is your fear level? And then being the cockroach of an, and the creative man that you are, how are you, how, what is your plan to adjust? What's the future for Joe? Well, I, I think that, um, if I were an established novelist, like, like when we talk about me writing, I mostly write for contests and for nonfiction, um, so far. And I'm not very afraid yet because, um, those are already flooded fields having a, a white noise of AI created articles and, and uh, AI created books. It's, it's just another drop in the ocean of people making bad content. It's going to fade into the back with everybody else's stuff. It's similar to the self publishing on Amazon where there's right. an ocean of, of crap and the people who market the best or the people who separate themselves and market the best and write the best you, you're going to rise above it kind of deal right my my fear with ai is when it starts interfering with other people's established careers that somebody is actually good and they did rise above that white noise that that ocean of crap and then somebody uses ai to target them and drag them back down or uses ai to target them and try to make money off them um, I got a couple of examples of that, um, because that is my biggest fear. My, my biggest fear is I write our podcast or I finish our, our book about self-awareness and then an AI writer, somebody who's using AI scans our book and then starts publishing stuff under our name that is worse and is generic and, and bad. And they, they use our name on it. And yeah, this, this happens to us. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Well, that, that dilution companies are doing it to themselves. When we talk about um, Wizard of the Coast for Dungeons and Dragons, or we talk about a Chinese newspaper diluting themselves with um, AI, AI is doing that actively to establish writers. We started our uh, narrative today with Jane Friedman. Well, when, when Jane Friedman, the woman who you know writes for writers, she, she publishes books on how to write better and how to hone your craft. Um, when she contacted Amazon to, to find out you know what's Amazon going to do to protect us, the answer is fuck all. Um, they asked her, uh, do you have a trademark registration attached to your name and works? And on her blog, she she says that she said no. She said, I don't have a trademark on my name and works um, See, or, or my name. Yeah. That surprises me because I would think that they wouldn't want to dilute. They would want quality people just like Google does. They want the best businesses at the top. You would think that Amazon would want that crap. It's. You think they'd I, want I, to support the people that were going to do quality stuff. So, so you keep going back to their platform to get the next, the next dose of it. 
I, I don't think that's Amazon's game plan. I don't think they're trying to get the best quality on their platform. I think they're trying to get everything on their platform. I think that they make their price structure competitive to, to entice people to publish only through them. Uh, if you publish on, I think it's Kindle Direct, there's literally a section where it, it pays you more per book sale if you only publish on Amazon. So the incentive is they want to have everything. They're trying to everything. Yeah, they want to, to they want to be a monopoly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they, they told Jane uh, when she went to them and she's like, no, I don't have a, a, a trademark on my name. She's like, that's bizarre. Like most most self-publishing authors, they have an LLC. Uh, like they they identify themselves as a corporation. They pay to yeah, do that. You're not you're not Barbie. You know, it's just weird, right? Right. And and they have um, you file a DMCA uh, um, if if somebody encroaches on your work. So she's not the weird one for not having that trademark in place. Amazon's weird for asking for it. And um, also, if you're wondering what is keeping uh, all of those AI writers from publishing dozens and dozens and dozens and hundreds of books on Amazon to to make their market worse, to, to dilute their market. Again, fuck all. Like they're <laughs> like they they basically I think their first attempt uh, was they limited the weekly book uploads you could have on Amazon. So if I am having chat GTP write a hundred romance novels uh, a week for me and going on and publishing just mass amounts of nonsense, like like it, it really sounds like words thrown through a paper shredder and then just slapping a, a bad title on it. Um, and they said, okay, well, we're being absolutely tanked with with these nonsense AI books. So they, they made it to where you can only upload, I think, three books a week. And then they also, uh, yeah, that wasn't geez. enough. You get a hundred of yeah. those people or a thousand of people. Oh my goodness, right? <laughs> it's still too many. <laughs> it's still right. Too- and and they um, they added one more feature. People still kept complaining, and so they added a checkbox in the section where you upload your book to publish it, and it says, "Was this written by AI?" Check yes or no. So that's their that is their super ah, strict they don't, they don't system. Care. They yeah. don't give a shit. Yeah, it's all about the money. Um, we'll leave a link to a Guardian article about how Amazon. Um, is or isn't removing books created by AI. They're getting better at it. They, they actually are trying, they're having to step up their game because publishers are pulling out. <laughs> um, they're, people aren't going to publish on Amazon if it is just a notion of, of AI generated. You know, If it looks like the bottom of a birdcage and it's just paper shreddings, then nobody's going to publish there. Um, but the, the, the bigger danger, um, the bigger, bigger immediate danger is um, voice actors. Um, who is that, uh, British naturalist, uh, who, who does all of the nature documentaries? I know who he is. Sir David Frederick Attenborough. Attenborough. Uh, thank you. Oh my God. My brain. He's was... born in 1926. <laughs> well, he's, he's, he, he's 97. Yeah. He's still around. God, he's, he's got the voice 100. of God. He's got, no, he's got the voice of God. That's a great voice. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I can fall asleep to Attenborough documentaries every night. Um, now he's, he's amazing and he's got like the most recognizable voice in like British television. Um, but David Attenborough is now narrating, um, like fiction planets from Warhammer 40 K. And I guess, and that's from AI. They just copied his voice and they yep. put it in the thing. And I... <laughs> 
So he's just going to do weird soft porn and stuff now. <laughs> just, just David weird. Attenborough. Oh, yeah. boy. Narrating wars about the Forge planet before the uh, Dark Emperor uh, sent his uh, ghouls to to take blah, 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 blah. It's, it's crazy. Um, I, I'm sure that pisses him off. You know, 97-year-olds are usually pretty cranky to begin with, but... I'm sure he didn't appreciate that because he he spent a hundred years doing this, you know, literally. Yeah. Well, this, this started earlier, um, before chat GPT, I think it was about, you know, five or six years ago. Um, there was an expo for like Adobe and they were showing off their new technology. Like here's, here's a better Photoshop. Here's a better file system. Here's a better, you know, PDF reader. And one of the things they showed off in a very, uh, now kind of infamous clip, um, they had Key and Peel, uh, Keegan Michael Key, I think, was demonstrating how a voice copier worked. And what it was is, is he would read into a machine and he would just say a sentence or two. Um, and then the AI would basically parse apart the sounds he made during certain syllables and vowels and figure out how to recreate those around words he had never said before. So like it took like half of the the start of him saying the O sound and like part of him saying the R sound and, and part of the, the way his his L's lilt at the bottom and it could recombine in real time quickly him saying stuff like, you know, I, I kiss Jordan Peele on the mouth or, or something silly like that. Right. I'll try to find a clip of it for us to play. Yeah. Um, they never released that. Like like everybody at the expo was like, oh, my God, we don't have to pay voice actors anymore. Like you you write a book you can just have you know uh, the the thousands of working voice actors in books and thousands of you know working voice actors yeah. in hollywood who with 20 years experience which you'd pay thirty thousand dollars for you could have it not only does it not take six months but it can be done in three minutes right uh, um yeah and I'm get, so what you're saying if i'm hearing you right is is the so unlike the ai art and the ai writing you can't tell the difference that's exactly voice. right. Oh no! So there's no learning; it's already there. That that technology's down. There are um, poor AI voice copiers uh, that you can tell, like you can listen to them, and it's like, oh, okay, that's that's reasonable. Like I can I can see the the gaps. I can see where the the lines have been sewn together. But there are some out there, um, some AI voice copiers that are completely and totally natural. And they don't even need like a human voice uh, to copy from. Some of them can like combine voices that have already been recorded. Um, but the easiest thing to do is is to have somebody speak and then just have an AI listen to it and then have it replicate it and just type in what you want to say. And that is a, a service right now. Like like you can go online. Um, I think one of the best ones I've seen is Eleven Labs. I'm not giving them a plug. It's just saying, you know, I've been looking into this because I'm a writer and I'm like, oh, I don't better, need to pay a voice. Say, you I, better I, not. You better not fire me, you son of a bitch. I've got a. Well, that's. God. You've been looking. You have. Why do you know these names so well? Secretly, that's what this whole episode is about: is me breaking it to you, you that let, I let don't need go. you to voice anything anymore. I can just write this stuff. You have to make I've it got, more obvious. You have to tell me I'm fired. I, I don't pick up on subtle things. You know who I'm thinking of? Joe and I have have an awesome voiceover coach that we've worked with to improve our our presentation, our performance of this, and this is all she's ever done. She worked in New York and, and doing commercials. Should I share this information with her? I, only if you want to crush her dreams. I mean, yeah, it's... I mean, I don't, but I want to give her a heads up if if, some, if, if a piano's going to fall on her too, you know? One of the great pieces of advice she gave 
both of us as, as I remember saying that you should look ahead and read what you're reading and say it in the emotional tone of what you're reading. Like, yeah. and, and it is acting. It is acting. Absolutely. Yeah, it is acting. And then I watched a YouTube video and they were explaining how AI of uh, readers work, how these, how these fake voices work. And they said exactly that. They're like the AI skims ahead analyzes the emotional uh like the the positive or negative emotional tone of a sentence and then reads it in that tone so if you're thinking that ai voices sound robotic they do yeah they sound like they're acting they're amazing well and i I tell you one of the hardest thing about doing long voiceover work that i've done is to keep the same um the keep, keep the same energy for that long it's not easy to do you fatigue so i can see ai would actually almost have an upper hand on that because it's not your voice and it's not your, it's a physical thing. You have to stand, you have to breathe a certain way. I think they'd be more consistent. It would actually sound a little better. And unless we start coming out with laws specifically to say that we prefer having humans do our work um, for, for creative stuff, uh, unless we have something and we decide, like I'm, I'm not saying this is positive or negative. I can see the capitalist side of it where it's, you know, this is more efficient. Just go with the AI. I can also see the human side of it where it's, okay, well, we want a human to make this voice. We want a human to make the sound. Whichever way we go as a society, that one is the first one on the chopping block. Like like they're literally having to renegotiate contracts for voice actors. They're literally having to look at company by company. They're deciding, do we use a real voice or do we use an AI? Because AIs are cheap, but a human voice can deliver it with a human sound. Um, I don't know how that one's going to shake out. I, I seeing how long it takes for unions to strike, seeing how long it takes for the public to side with um, humans and human laborers and, and workers. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think that we're just going to keep adopting AI as our workforce um, without any human protections at all. Like I, I I'm that's well, cheaper, not a, a yeah cheaper and faster is always going to win out. You know. Yeah, I, I live right next to Intel, the big company that does all that. And that's they live by that. And I, th- I think the world does. I think, yeah, people will say, you know, in the construction business, too, I've always believed in green stuff and doing things safer for the environment. And everyone's on board until it costs a cent more. <laughs> right. And then when it comes out of their wallet, their pocket, their retirement, their house mortgage, <laughs> they're, 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 that's the first thing to cave. It's it's going to be insane because we're going to be playing like AAA games like you're going to be playing like Madden or Call of Duty and they will be all voiced by AI voices. Nobody came into a studio. It was just a corporation telling an AI what they want to have in their game and it just happens. And then you'll have indie games where like it's almost like when somebody says our, our artisanal bags are hand stitched by humans um, or, or like, you know, in, in America, like it's it's made by, you know, uh, um, farmers we'll have that same sort of nostalgia for things that are voiced by a person. Like <laughs> it'll be like, like the, the selling point of a, of an audio book that you're, you're purchasing is it was written and voiced by a human. And that's, that's going to be a, 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 you making almost like a donation toward the, the artists, which is, I mean, that's, that's, that's not a hypothetical. That is just kind of, we're, we're turning into that iceberg already. Um, do you want to talk about our biggest example of this? That the one we teased early and the one that got us started on the story uh, is something Todd sent me. And I, you've got to tell people about this. 
Yeah, the number one, you know, one of the number one sports magazines of all time um, in this country is, is Sports Illustrated. Um, the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition is world famous. Um, they used to have just beautiful models and swimsuits. Now it has actual athletes and with no clothes on. And it's got a great reputation as being um, just one of the leaders in sports um, journalism and being honest. Well, they got caught with their pants down. Um, there was some articles that they were written, and there was photos of the writers and the writers' names, and a bunch of people who were experts, like Joe, had had read the articles and, and couldn't tell that they were that they were AI. But what one person did was they looked up the writer just out of curiosity. They never heard of them. They were a big fan of the magazine. They couldn't find that person. And then <laughs> because it wasn't a person, it was written by AI. And as soon as they tried to go after him, they took it down. So it's, it's outright being dishonest. And when you have an article that's, you know, journalism that's supposed to be saying, hey, we're reporting on the facts, we're, we're educating you. And it, it is entertainment. It is sports. But. If Sports Illustrated is willing, has already been doing this, there's a very good chance that every other major, um, major magazine newspaper has been doing the same. Yeah, there there have been a couple of um, magazines that have been caught. Um, did you hear about uh, BuzzFeed? No, what happened with BuzzFeed? BuzzFeed had the same problem. They they had. Uh, a writer who was caught who used I, I think they were transparent about it they called it their their assistant or something like that um but there have been a couple of um magazines that, that that's how they keep catching them is they'll look into who the writer is you'll, you'll click on who was this written by and it's a completely fictitious person like um you know their their image even was generated by ai like uh, there's ai that mash up photographs of people into human looking like like somebody who were like like they look normal like they're not hot they're just totally normal and it's it's i think the website for this is this person does not exist like if you type that in it brings you to an ai face masher where it just invents people every time you click the mouse and it's just nobody on these pictures exists they've never existed they are mashups and they all look 100 percent human and a lot of these magazines are getting caught because somebody will click on that little human image icon and look at who the author is. And they don't have a history. They've never written anything else. Uh, they, yeah. Nowadays, there would be a LinkedIn. There'd be something, you know, you're right, going to find right, something, right. a Facebook, a LinkedIn, a lot of things, especially if you're, if you're, you know, if you're writing for Rolling Stone magazine, you're going to have a portfolio online of your right. work. Yeah. The, the way um, Dungeons and Dragons, the way they were kind of caught is not just the little tiny bad artwork details uh, in their their main book. I can't say that enough. It was a main publication. Um, but they were caught because somebody looked up the artist. Like they looked up, okay, you know, like Wizard is uh, Wizard of the Coast is claiming this is a real portrait painted by a real person. They clicked on the artist and they found that it was a AI, uh, uh, somebody's account who generates AI art. So like he had a profile. He had a deviant art account. He had yeah. all this artwork up, but he said himself in his profile, he's like, I make AI art. Like I, I put prompts, like I type in uh, prompts of what I want to see. And then the, the 
AI spits it out for me, and that makes me an artist. And, and I, I like to think it's not a witch hunt. It's just people generally curious about it. You know, because when I see something, I'm curious about their background, where they went to school, and where they're from in the world. I, I'm genuinely interested. And to find out it's not a person, you're like, oh, you know. Right. I think if you're going to do it, you should say it and be unapologetic about it. Yeah, I agree. But don't try to hide it. Be honest. Even even journalists. Not, I don't think journalism and honesty go together, but they should. And I I, I don't want this whole episode to sound like a bitter writer uh, prognosticating about a, a bleak future. You've I been think pretty positive overall. Really I was surprised. Well. I thought you I yeah. thought you were going to be slitting your throat like a like Roman times. <laughs> well, I, I again because I don't have like I'm not protecting a a line of Harry Potter books that I've written. I I have almost entirely been in contest writing because I like to see people do well. I, I like to see what is possible and experiment and and write the best thing possible. Um, but I am I, I'm I'm going to compare this to John Henry and the steam engine. It's I don't want to fight against the machine that can do my job in the future better. I want to work with it and I want to use it to make the best stories possible. Um, I think that good writers uh, will eventually become good editors and good prompters for AI and they will help guide AI to do the bulk heavy lifting while they come up with the great ideas because that's, I mean, Stephen King said it. Um, Stephen King, he's an amazing writer, but he didn't start out that way. Even he admits that a lot of his early stuff was bad. But his ideas were fantastic. Those those spark ideas, those interesting what ifs, those are what writing is going to be about later. And an AI will just do the execution for you and save you, you know, the midnight toiling of writing. Become um, like fine tuners. I was thinking about musicians who didn't make it, not even the one hit wonders, but they, they went on to have very lucrative and very successful careers as producers and sound people and, you know. You find your place to fit in and, and make make your stamp in your industry if you literally genuinely have a passion for it. Right. If you love it, you're you're going to work with whatever technology is available. Um, I just don't think right now we have a business or corporation that's willing to um, pay for that. <laughs> what we're what we're, instead of um, hiring incredibly talented people who love the work they're doing and also love AI and want to make the two work together. Instead, magazines are being lazy and publishers are being lazy and they're just saying, what if this AI just did it for us um, instead of paying a person? You've been listening to The Reengineered You. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode every week. You can connect with us at www.re-engineeredu.com. That's where we have research links, show notes, feedback, and blog articles for each of our episodes. We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything. Mm-hmm.